someone came to him and he said, oh, worship wasn't that great. And Francis looks at him and he says, good, because they weren't worshipping you. <laughs> Jeepers. Doesn't that just like, when we, when we get to this place that we realise we're actually not here for us, we're here to worship Jesus. That we actually get ourselves in a place where we go, God, I'm going to give this thing to you fully. That's when we really step into this place of worship that we've been pushing for. And it's super encouraging to hear Mike and Paul congratulate this family on, on chasing after that thing, that getting back this worship, this understanding of worship. One of the, one of the um, core values that we wanted to, to plant this church out of was that we wanted to redeem a New Testament church. We wanted to redeem back what, what God gave in the, in the early um, days of the New Testament. And we want to bring that back into the house. And, you know, one of those things is worship. And I just, well done, guys. Well done. And I think for all of us who, who can't sing, who can't bust a tune or who can't play an instrument, but God looks down and he says, I'm so proud of you for the worship that you bring. I'm so proud of you that you choose to stand and worship me. Well done. I have a million and one notes, but I'm not going to... Things are falling off them as we, <laughs> further we go along. But I was really stirred just during worship. In, in, it's funny, I was stirred in that exact uh, quote that, that chat just read out. You know, that, that, that becomes our anthem. Kat, can you just put those, that slide up, please? You're going to ask me what slide, and I don't remember exactly what the words were. We love you. We'll never stop. As, as I was sitting in worship, I was thinking, you know, this, this song is, is quite incredible because this becomes our anthem, becomes what we sing in both our triumphs and our failures. When we can stand in a place and say, God, we love you. Jesus will never stop loving you. We can't live without you, Jesus. We love you and we cannot get enough. All of this that we do is for you. When we can stand in a place when we're being persecuted and sing that song, when we can stand in a place where we're on top of the mountain, we're triumphing, finances are flowing, we're happy, we're filled with joy, we can still sing that song. You know, the song, the, 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 the very um, crux of the song is Jesus, it's all about you and we want to worship you wherever we stand. We, we actually take this song and we implement it into every aspect of our life. When we stand at our job, we sing this song. When we're, when we're praying for that person, we sing this song. Because the lyric that's there is so incredible that, God, I'm doing this for you. We get ourselves to a place where, where nothing we do is without, God, I want to know you more. I want to see you more. I want to be a part of this thing. I want to, I want to know you and I want to do what you've asked me to do. And we can stand in that place. And it is, as all of us would know, it is the hardest when things aren't going well. When we're getting battered and bruised, we heard, heard Mike speak about last week about the storm and, and how Jesus was in the midst of the storm. And I, I want to speak a little bit more on that this morning, just the, the kingship of Jesus and the, and the freedom that we see in Jesus. But it really comes down to our self, our decision we make for ourselves, the choice we make in every moment. Will I stand and sing this song or will I, will I grumble and gripe at the fact that things aren't going my way? Or the fact that things are, are going my way and we kind of look and, 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 and say, I did that, you know. Yes, you did, but not without Jesus, you didn't. Not without the full undivided attention of leaning on him and holding to him in that moment. So we heard Mike, um, if you weren't here the, last week, speak about being an archetype church. And it was, it was quite interesting 
um, and quite phenomenal. And I think, I actually said to him when we finished, man, you, you could take that so much further. You could spend so much longer in that, which I think we will as time goes, goes by. But one of the things that really highlighted to me was that Mike was talking about the Old Testament. He was talking about the ark that Noah was in and, and how it represented their safety. And, and that now we actually stand in a place where we see Jesus as being that ark. So I, I want to show you something quite interesting that, that someone showed me and I, it, it rattled the way they think. If, if you can, go to Genesis 8 verse 11. If you have a Bible in front of you. First book, the opening page if you go to the uh, first book that was in the Bible. Genesis 8 verse 11. Uh, 8.10. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly, in her mouth, interesting, was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So no one knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. So he sends the dove, the dove brings a leaf back, shows that there's land, the waters had subsided. Then he takes the dove and he sends the dove back out, and the dove doesn't come back. Skip forward in your Bible to Matthew, verse 3. 16. Matthew 3, verse 16. Just to set the scene from 13, Jesus comes down to Galilee, um, sorry, come from Galilee to the Jordan, to John, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. 3 verse 16, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We don't see that dove in the rest of the scriptures be talked about in that manner after we see it left from Genesis. So we see this picture, and I think it is a picture. I don't think that, that I think there's wrong teaching around the fact that the Holy Spirit is a dove. I don't think that's what this is saying. I think what God is doing in this picture is he's drawing a beautiful picture back to Genesis to show that the, the, the dove that found the ark was let go and it wasn't returned until it found the ark again in Jesus. So we actually see the second return of the ark being, well, the third, the third which I wasn't going to go into the third, once we will teach on the ark of the covenant, but we see the dove return to Jesus to come back to that place to say, this is the safety that I'll rest in. So we actually saw a picture being drawn in this verse in Matthew that the ark that we take protection, we take covering in is actually Jesus. So when they're standing at, at the sea and, this, and they're watching this baptism, the, the amount of understanding that would have come from that would have instantly said, this is the Jesus, this is the Christ of who's come. I was chatting with someone during the day about the, oh, sorry, a few days ago about how we, the, the, Jewish, the Jewish understanding, they wrestled with who Jesus was because he didn't come back on a shining horse and overthrow Rome. But he came back as a, as a prophet and they sort of saw him almost in this way of he was a prophet from God, but they, they were wrestling with the fact that he was the Christ because he didn't come 
the way that they thought he would. He came to serve. Right? So he draws this picture of servant leadership. He draws this, this picture of, I've come to model something you haven't seen before. So instantly the Jewish people were, were, were tossed and torn, but this picture beautifully shows the fact that, that the ark that we now find ourselves in is Jesus. And it's quite interesting when we, when we start to look at it like that because we heard Mike talk about an eschatology and it's funny, we were chatting about the, the whole eschatology and, and like he said last week, an eschatology just means an a, a end of the world um, understanding or study. So a, a lot of people will wrestle with this thing because it's been so mistreated. But there is, there is a reality that this thing is going to end. Whether we like it or not, there's going to be an end one way or another. A lot of people have different thoughts and opinions. And I think from what I can see in the understanding that I've done, there's three main eschatologies that get taught. A triumphalist eschatology, a defeatist eschatology, and a victorious eschatology. Don't stress, I'm going to explain what they all are. The triumphalist eschatology we see is that Christians are these these perfect beings that cannot enter any pain, any pain or suffering, will not, cannot be hurt. If we can get ourselves our faith right, then there'll be no challenges and no troubles and we can float through the earth and get to the end and go to heaven and it'll all be beautiful and pristine. The defeatist eschatology is that we're poor, broken Christians who have to suffer our way all the way to the end and hopefully we cling onto the cross and we'll suffer our way to the end and, and then at the end we'll come into this level of glory. Both of them are, uh, are far ends of the scale where we, we, we actually can't back all of that up in Scripture. And if, you're, if your thought process or your pattern, your theology or your doctrine cannot be backed up in Scripture, you don't have to change the Scriptures you're reading. You need to change your, your understanding of that thing. And we constantly, as, as Christians, need to be looking and checking and double-checking and, and trying to understand, God, what are you saying in this? Because this doesn't fit my grid. This doesn't fit what I believe. Okay, then you need to, you need to look at it. Either you're misinterpreting the verse or you've, you're not believing what God actually wants you to believe. So we come to this place of a, of a um, victorious eschatology where there's a lot of um, theologian writers will say that this is a cop-out but it's really the best way that we see it in Scripture is that there's this truth intention that we saw Mike speak about. This kingdom being now, and we're fully in the kingdom, of, but there is also an understanding, an element of the kingdom not yet. So we live in this place where there's a, a, a tension of we have the, the, the freedom to stand in the, in the wholeness and fullness of God. Yet we also see sometimes pain and suffering in that. We also see struggle and, and, and might in that. And the interesting thing for me when, I, when I'm chatting with somebody who has this triumphalist eschatology is I say, but look at the disciples. Only one of the disciples made it to the end without a horrible death. That to me makes me go, flip, you know, these are some of the, the, the most incredible writers of our time and they made it a gruesome, horrible. How can we say, no, we get to just float in? No, there's a work to do. There is a work to do. We get caught up in this thing where it says, you know, we don't have to work, but, but this faith without works is dead. So we go, okay, there's something for us to do. God, what is it that you want us to do? And how do we find that thing that you want us to do? The more I've looked through this, the more I've challenged and, and, and tried to understand, God, how do we understand this work? How do we carry this work out? 
I, I believe that, that Jesus is the understanding for that work. That Jesus, the focus on Jesus, the understanding, the walking through with Jesus is actually how we understand that work. So turn with me in your Bible to John 6, John 6, 43. John 6, 43, Jesus had answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone who has seen the Father except he who is from God has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that no one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And that bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. We see that we see him say, this is the bread that comes down from heaven. Then he says it again in 51, I am the living bread that came from heaven. Jesus is simply reiterating to the disciples, I am the way that you will get the things you're looking for. Me, I'm the living bread. God has sent me in this place. My flesh, when you eat of it, you will step into that place that you are so looking for, that everlasting life, that understanding. So, yes, it is important that we have an eschatology, we have an understanding of what God's doing. Read Revelations. It is a challenging, scary book, but it is incredibly exciting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a little bit about it in a minute. We have to. That is important. But if your eschatology starts to point away from Jesus, it's wrong. Plain and simple. Jesus says, I'm the way, truth, and life. I'm the bread of life. Your eschatology is me. Your end time is me. Now, we can discuss, and I think it's, it's good and fruitful to discuss what that looks like, but we never, ever lose that focus of, God, you are the alignment, like what Mike spoke about two weeks ago. I align myself with you, and I look to you in this place. That becomes our eschatology. That becomes our, I'm the, I'm the bread of life. I'm the fruit. I'm the fruit of your life. It's interesting. Coco brought that um, word about peace, you know, and she's so right. But the reality of that is if you want that peace, look for Jesus. If you want to have that peace, walk with Jesus. You want to understand what that is that's fulfilling you and be in that, get in a room with Jesus. Because when he comes into the room, like that song we were singing, when he comes into the room, everything else has to flee. So when you're in that place of depression, anxiety, and you're going, I want out of here, seek Jesus. That's why we, we will never, ever stop pushing for this thing in worship where we will look at we will look at you, Jesus. I will not look at my own pains and sufferings because I can't do anything with them. But if I look at you and you come in and we stand together, everything else will leave. You know, we've seen that, that picture time and time again and it's a simple one, but it's phenomenal. But you turn all the lights out in the room and you light a candle. Every, anywhere you take that candle, it's bright. Right? Anywhere you move it around the room, it will light the room up. We don't have to... It's actually scientifically proven that you can't lower the darkness. You can only increase light. 
So when we have that place and we have that time and you're sitting in that, um, I don't want to say self-pity, but when you're sitting in that, uh, I can't get out of this thing, is hurting, then we need to look to the light. Because you're looking in the darkness for something you're not going to find. When we look at Jesus, we say, God, I'm going to come with you. I'm going to read your scriptures. I'm going to find out what you are, what your life looks like in this thing. And I'm going to bring you and step in with you into this place that will remove all those things from me. Go with me to Luke, 20, uh, Luke 24, verse 25. 24 verse 25 this is is just after Jesus sorry just after Jesus has died they've gone to the tomb Um, Yeah, so Jesus, so, so some of the disciples, they're, they're, they're trying to discuss who Jesus was, trying to discuss if he's come back. They're at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And then Jesus says to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. What is, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? So when Jesus is saying, O oh, foolish ones who are slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. So the prophets that he's speaking of in that, in that scripture is the prophets of old. He's speaking about the Old Testament. The prophets that pointed toward Jesus. They're saying, you, you knew these prophecies. You foolish people. Slow to heart. You knew the prophecies well. They knew them inside and out because that was a part of their training as young Jewish kids was to learn the Torah. So they knew these prophecies. And then when they get to this place, they don't realize who Jesus actually was in those prophecies. And he's saying, I was the one that they were prophesying about. I'm that person that they're talking about. Me, here, standing before you. He's challenged them on the fact that you've read this thing upside down, but you have no idea who I am. He's actually challenging the disciples to say, who stands before you is that man that you read so excitedly, so diligently, almost as a superhero who's coming back to save the world. You read that in here, and it's, I'm right here in front of you. You know, Mike challenged the fact that we, that we, we don't spend enough time understanding the Old Testament. We don't spend enough time, we, we sort of play it over. And I'm the same. When I did, did Bible college, Old Testament, my topic on Old Testament was the hardest um, lesson I, at class I ever did. It was extremely difficult because we're trying to understand writings thousands of years ago. There's, there's metaphors and there's all kinds of things and trying to write a paper on that to explain something was terribly difficult. But man, I was enriched by doing that. That when you sit down to read this thing and you're okay, I'm going to read this book. Holy Spirit, come and show me what in the world I'm reading. Now, there's so many times where I read the scriptures and I'm thinking to myself, this is insane. <laughs> this has no application to my life now. This has no sense. Holy Spirit, you've got to come and show me something. But my goodness, when God starts to reveal things in that and you're reading this thing and you go, that's what they were talking about. That prophecy, that prophet, that was, he was exemplifying Jesus. 
my Jesus, who's, who I can walk with, who's, who I, I come into, who says that he's the bread of the life and we get to come and hide inside him. That's who he's talking about. Luke 24, Luke 24, verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones and soul of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning to himself. Jesus sat with the disciples and he said, let me show you me from the very beginning with Moses all the way to now. We flip through these scriptures, 66 books. We can see Jesus in every single one of them. In every one of the scriptures, we see Jesus. In Genesis, he's the seed of the woman. In Exodus, the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's a high priest. In Numbers, he's the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's a prophet greater than Moses. In Joshua, the captain of our salvation. In Judges, our deliverer. In Ruth, he's our kinsman redeemer. First and second Samuel, our trusted prophet. Kings and Chronicles, our reigning king, Ezra, the faithful scribe, Nehemiah, the storer of our soul, Esther, the advocate, Job, the ever-living redeemer, Psalms, a new song, Proverbs, the wisdom of God, Ecclesiastes, the goal of life, life, Solomon, of Solomon, lover of our soul, Isaiah, the suffering servant, Jeremiah, the righteous branch of David, Lamentations, the weeping prophet, Ezekiel, the glory of God, Daniel, the smiting stone, in Hosea, the forgiving bridegroom, in Joel, the giver of the Holy Spirit, Amos, the burden bearer, in Abadiah, mighty saviour, in Jonah, the firstborn from the dead, in Micah, he's the ruler of the ages, and Naham, the avenger, Habakkuk, the God of salvation, and Zephaniah, the one in our midst. In Haggai, he's the restorer of God's kingdom, and in Zechariah, the priest of the throne. In Malachi, he's the son of the righteous with healing in his wings. In Matthew, he's the king of the Jews. In Mark, he's the servant. Luke, he's the son of man, and John, he's the son of God. Acts, the giver of the Holy Spirit. Romans, he is the righteousness of God. In Corinthians, he's the giver of gifts. Gifts In Galatians, the liberator of our soul. In Ephesians, he is head of the church. In Philippians, he is our joy. In Colossians, the head of all things. In Thessalonians, the hope of mankind. Timothy, he is faith and stability. In Philemon, he is the benefactor. Titus, he is counted all truth. And Hebrews, the messenger of God's new covenant. James, the great physician. Peter, the cornerstone. John, the love, light and truth. And Jude, the one who is able to keep us. Revelation, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In every book, we see Jesus. Every time we pick up the scriptures, we see Jesus. That God made this architect, this scarlet thread that threads all the way through the Bible, that when we read it now, almost two and a half thousand years ago, we can go, Jesus, I see you in everything that we see. That's why for me, it, it bugs me so much and, it, and it, it, it challenges me so much when I see churches building away from this model. The model is Jesus. It's that simple. It really is. The reality of our life, what we build in this life, if we focus on that thing, if we focus on Jesus, I promise you, you will build something worth living. My sister-in-law had a baby this morning, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a nephew for the second time. Sorry, uncle. She's a niece. That's weird. That's weird. I'm an uncle for a second time. And you know, I was praying this morning, 
in the shower and I was just saying to God, God, I, I, I don't care for anything else in her life other than knowing you. That's the only thing. Because if she, if she gets that right, if she focuses herself on you, the rest will fall into line. And it doesn't matter the rest. Now, that reality for all of us, that reality, God, come and, and show us who you are. I promise the rest of the stuff falls away. It, it doesn't make any sense. It's not important. It, it, it's, it's second unto him. God, I love you. And I'll do everything for you and unto you. Go with me to Hebrews 10 verse 19. Where are we going? Hebrews 10 verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed pure with water. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, speaking of the ripping of the curtain in the Holy of Holies which stopped anyone from going in other than one priest once a year, speaking of the fact that it used to be so distant and now it's so close, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood. Guys, we have the opportunity, the ability to enter into those holy places. That when Jesus died on that cross, that curtain was ripped, he opened up a way for us to sit with him and be hidden in him. He's the bread of our life and he's the light that we stand in. And by his blood... He is the, the wholeness and the fullness. Dave, do you want to grab uh, communion if you don't mind? And if you want to play, Shani, we're just going to... I just want us to take communion, but I want to I just take it from a, an understanding of the fact that we actually come to this place before God. We actually stand in this place and we say, Jesus, I know who you are and I know what you've done and by your, by your body... You've allowed us to enter that place and by your blood you've cleansed us. And just quickly, you don't have to go there, but in, in Colossians 3, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seek Christ. Don't look to heaven in an open, send something. The things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father. He's saying, look to Christ. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You are now hidden in Christ. You are hidden in Christ. The final archetype of the ark, the final understanding of protection and, and hidden and value is in Christ.
We've been given freedom and wholeness in Him. Jesus, through the covenant that He made with His blood on that cross, created a vessel that allows us access back into the garden with the Father. So guys, this, this symbol that we, that we take of, I've, I've spoken about it here before, this symbol that we, we enter into, if you want to stand, you can stand. If you want to stay seating, you can stay seating. If you want to come and walk around, feel free to do so. I'm just going to explain this quickly. Is that when, when, we, when, when Jesus fulfilled the first blood covenant and he entered another covenant, that allows us to, through him, enter into with God. This was a rejoicing symbol. And rejoicing can look like dancing and, and, and shouting and jumping, and it can look like just a, a complete excitement of joy. But this was never meant to be a somber moment. This was a symbol to say, I cut covenant with Jesus, with God. I stand in a place where my protection comes from Him, my life comes from Him, everything that I do comes from Him. And we take of this meal, we take of this, what we've now made, a snazzy little piece of bread. But the the reality of it is, is that Jesus, what you did for me, I remember you in this. What you did for me, I celebrate in this. But not only that, there is no enemy that can attack me because of this. There is no power that can overcome me because of this. That I stand in this place in a safety and a wholeness of the ark of Jesus because of this very thing here. We don't do this because it's a nice filler and it's something that we want to do. We do it because we stand here and we say, Jesus, I thank you and I celebrate with you in this. Jesus, I love you. And I want to continue to build my life in that way. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's the keeper of creation and the creator of all. He's the architect of the universe and the manager of all times. He always was, he always is, and he always will be. Unmoved, unchanged, undefeated, and never undone. He was bruised and brought healing. He was pierced and eased pain. He was persecuted and brought freedom. He was dead and brought life. He is risen and brings power and He reigns and brings peace. The world cannot understand Him. The armies cannot defeat Him. The schools can't explain Him and the leaders can't ignore Him. Herod couldn't kill Him and the Pharisees couldn't confuse Him and the people couldn't hold Him and Nero couldn't crush Him. Hitler couldn't silence Him and the New Age can't replace Him. And Oprah cannot explain Him away. He is light, love, longevity and Lord. He is goodness, kindness, gentleness and God. He is holy, righteous, mighty, powerful and pure. His ways are right. His word is eternal. His will is unchanging and his mind is on me. He's my redeemer. He's my savior. He is my guide and he is my peace. He's my joy. He's my comfort. He is my Lord and he rules my life. Jesus, we thank you, God. Father, we thank you that you knew what you were doing. 
we thank you, God, that when we screwed it up, you knew exactly how to fix it. I thank you, Father, that you removed us from the garden so we couldn't take of that life, that tree of life, and never get back to you. That you closed us off from that and said, I have a plan, just wait. I thank you, Jesus, that you so willingly came that even though you kneeled in that garden and said, God, give me something else, you did it because your Father asked you to. I thank you that you constantly, constantly, constantly contest for our hearts. That time and time again, you will stand there and help us up. Thank you, Father, that in this world that we live in, in this increasingly confusing place where, where things aren't seem to be going our way, always you are king, that your kingship is never lost, that no matter how far this world goes, we stay safely in you. Jesus, that your bread was broken so that we could stand, your body was broken so that we could stand in a place that says, that's my king. That's who I cut covenant with. That when we go to war, we go to war knowing that you stand side by side with us, in front of us, behind us. So as we take of this bread right now, God, we just remember, we rejoice. And we say, you are our king. We just thank you, Father. And your blood, Jesus, your beautiful blood that was poured out that didn't cover us but entirely washed us clean. That completely removes us and allows us to step into a new creation that your blood is the strength that we stand by. thank you Jesus that you poured it out for our sake just thank you God just honour you God and we worship your beautiful beautiful name the power and majesty that you stand in just love you
just might What a powerful name it is Nothing can stand against What a powerful name it is The name of Jesus You have no rival You have no Nothing can stand against what a powerful name it is. 